I don't think, uh, I, I think most of us, all of us probably, if, we've, if we're old enough, we've lived long enough, and if we're honest, I, I think most of us have experienced seasons of our life where we ended up somewhere we didn't expect to be. Or we didn't expect our environment to be what it, what it had become. Maybe we were planning to get somewhere. Maybe we had a goal, like I want to be here. I, I want to be in this situation. I, I want to achieve this. And then when we got there, it just wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Life is that way. It hands us seasons that are, are what we desire aren't the way we want them to be. It would be nice uh, if this only happened once in life, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Most of you have lived long enough to know that's not the reality. It would, be, it would be nice if this were sort of a rite of passage, right? You turn 13, you have a bar mitzvah, you, like whatever that thing is. You get your driver's license, you have your season, and then it's over. And the rest of life is exactly the way you expect it. To be, but most of us have lived long enough to know that we pass in and out of these seasons where life is great, it's as I anticipated, it's what I planned it would be, and then we kind of move into a season where everything is unsettled. It's, it's confusing. It's not what we expected. If you're a follower of God, if, if your life is committed to Jesus, in those seasons, you and I have to figure out, okay, who am I going to be now? What is my role now? How am I going to respond to this season of life? And eventually, we have to come to a place where we're willing to say, I'm going to obey God. Even here, this is not where I expected to be, wanted to be. I didn't choose to be here in some cases. But even though I'm not where I expected to be, my commitment is to follow God even during this season, uh, you can say it this way. My circumstances don't determine my obedience. My circumstances don't dictate whether I obey God or not. My circumstances don't determine my obedience. I'm going to obey God regardless of my circumstances because my circumstances will change. And sometimes they will be what I prefer. And sometimes they won't at all be what I prefer. That's not to say that we should never work to change our circumstances. That's not to say that we don't at times try to make our circumstances better. But there has to be in the follower, in the life of the follower of Jesus, this settled commitment that God, whatever's happening around me, is not going to change the person that I am. It's not going to change my commitment to you. Now, I may not understand those circumstances. I may not always like those circumstances. I can be honest about that. I can be honest about how I feel about the circumstances while at the same time remaining committed to obeying Christ. Another way to say this principle. Just because life isn't the way I want it to be isn't an excuse to stop being the person God wants me to be. Just because life isn't the way I want it to be, and sometimes it's not, just because life isn't the way I want it to be, isn't an excuse to stop being the person God wants me to be. God, I'm going to continue to be who you've called me to be, and maybe my circumstances will change. Maybe my circumstances will be different, but until that happens, I'm going to continue to be faithful 
to you. Again, there are times when right now is not exactly the way we want it. Right now is not perfectly the way we would desire, but you and I can decide even in those moments, I'm going to faithfully obey God. We come to this last section of the book of Acts, roughly from chapter 19 to chapter 28. It's a really big chunk of uh, the book here right at the end, but when we when we come to this last section of the book of Acts, the camera lens really dials into Paul here. He's almost the solo character. There are a few other characters, but there's not so much crowds of people that we meet. There's some crowds we see, but it's mostly just following Paul, the, the, the condition of his heart, what he's experiencing, and what he chooses to do in light of his circumstances. We left off last week in Acts 19.20 with this verse. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. If you've been here for other messages in this series, you know those are the phrases that we've kind of hung this series on. There are five different times the narrator stops the action and says, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact the gospel was still growing. People were still coming to Jesus. The church was advancing. Disciples were growing. Again and again. And we, and we wade through struggles and difficulties and conflicts and back and forth. But the narrator reminds us again and again throughout the book. But the gospel kept going. But God was still at work. This is true in your life and in my life. When life isn't the way we want it. God's still at work. We may not see how he's working. We may not understand what he's doing or when he's going to reveal that to us or when it's suddenly going to make sense, if it ever makes sense. But the book of Acts says, yeah, there were some really hard things happening and God was still at work. Now, in this last section of, of Paul's life, Paul's options begin to narrow. His choices get fewer and fewer. There are fewer decisions left up to Paul. He doesn't get to decide as much where he goes. He's told where he's going to go. He doesn't always get to choose his accommodations. He's forced into accommodations, and the way he responds is instructive to us. Acts 19, 21, this is right after the verse we just read. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. Passing through Macedonia and Achaia, after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Also, Paul had a plan. He had a plan. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to talk to the believers there. I'm going to share the gospel there. And then I'm going to go to Rome. That's Paul's plan. Ever had a plan? Does life always go according to plan? Not always. Paul's got a plan. I'm going to go to Rome eventually. Now, uh, Paul has had this desire to get to Rome for, for much of his adult life. Paul is a Roman citizen, but he was born in Tarsus. He spent much of his life in Jerusalem. He's written a letter to a church at Rome by this time, but he's never been to see that church. And Paul desperately wants to get to Rome because from Rome, Paul believes the gospel can impact the rest of the world. If you were here for the first message, that's where we started. 
We said the whole movement of Acts is how the gospel went from Jerusalem and then made it to Rome because at this time Rome was building highways and roads and they're, uh, they're, they are um, creating new ways of transportation and shipping. So the world is coming through Rome and Rome is going out to the world. They're conquering lands. And so Paul knows if we can get the gospel to Rome, then it can go everywhere. This is what Paul wants. But Paul's going to get to Rome. It's just going to be a little differently than he thought. Paul, when he, when he decides, I want to go to Jerusalem, then I want to go to Rome, he's at, he's at Ephesus, and he's going to leave Ephesus and go to Jerusalem. But before he leaves Ephesus, something interesting happens. This is verse 23, Acts chapter 19. About that time... There arose a great disturbance about the way, which is what Christianity was called in many parts in the first centuries, the way, the way of Jesus. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines uh, of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine Majesty, Kind of a long passage. You, you followed along. There's this guy named Demetrius. He works with silver. And he and some of his friends are in different trades, but they, they make idols, they make icons of the goddess Artemis, daughter of Zeus, who was the primary goddess that they worshipped in this particular region uh, there in Ephesus. And Demetrius says, this guy Paul's ruining business. He's bad for business. He's telling everybody that Artemis isn't really a god, and there's another god, and that god is the only god, and now people don't want to buy our stuff. We need to do something about this guy named Paul. So they spread out in the city, and they stir up this anger and resentment, and they cause a riot. And eventually, all of these people in Ephesus storm into the amphitheater there in Ephesus. You have probably seen a picture of the amphitheater at Ephesus, but I brought one along just in case you didn't remember. This is where they were. They, they all rush into the amphitheater. They're angry. They grab one of Paul's friends because they couldn't find Paul probably, drag him into the amphitheater, begin yelling at him, begin accusing him. Everybody's absolutely losing their minds. And here's what this little episode tells us. People don't like it when you mess with their idols. People don't like it when you mess with their idols. People don't like it when you mess with that thing that they've built their whole life around and they think is so important, but it's really not that important. They don't like it. They don't like it when you question the amount of time they invest in something that's really not all that valuable. They don't, people don't like it when you mess with their idols. People often form their own identity 
around something and they attach themselves to that thing and when you question that thing they get mad this is what's happening in Ephesus Paul's messing with their idols he's, he's messing with the thing that uh, the way they make money right the way they become popular the way they're liked, the thing that they do people don't like it when you mess with their idols now they don't all they don't always know why they don't like it Interesting commentary, verse 32. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. In other words, they weren't even on the same page. Like, this person was mad about this, this person's mad about this. They can't even get on the same page. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Kind of sounds like the world today, right? It's like, like why are... Why are you there? I don't know. I don't know why we're here, but they're here, and I'm with them, so I'm here. Why are you mad? I don't know, but my people are mad. Those are my people. They're mad about something. I don't know what they're mad about, but I, if they're mad, I'm mad. If they don't like it, I don't like it. If they're against it, I'm against it. They're on that side, so I'm on that side too. Luke says they didn't have their story straight. Most of them didn't even know why they were there. They didn't know why they were mad. They just knew we're all supposed to be mad. Which looks just like social media today, right? I don't really know why we're mad, but we're supposed to be mad because my people are mad, and if my people are mad, I'm going to be mad. People lose their minds when you attack their idols. People get defensive when you talk about those things that have formed their identity, which can be a really good test for us can be a really good test the point of my greatest emotion might indicate the place of my biggest idol the point of my greatest emotion might indicate the place of my biggest idol i'm not saying we should be unemotional I'm not saying we should never be passionate about things. Of course we, we should. We're created emotional beings. But sometimes you and I get really defensive about things that maybe we shouldn't be so defensive about. We have a lot of negative emotion about some things that maybe we need to evaluate in our lives. Maybe we need to ask, why does this thing always set me off? Why do I get defensive every time this topic comes up? Why do, why do I get angry every time somebody takes a different viewpoint on this particular issue? Sometimes the point of my biggest emotion, especially negative emotion, anger, defensiveness, those sort of emotions, the point of my greatest negative emotion can sometimes indicate this has become an idol to me. This has become too big. This has become too important to me. This is starting to drive my emotional state. This is starting to drive how I relate to other people. Riots going on in the theater in Ephesus. Finally, one of the government officials steps in. If I were translating it, he basically says, okay, we've got to knock it off. Like Everybody's got to go home. Because if we keep rioting, the Romans are going to hear about it, and they're going to come down here, and they're going to beat us all. So go home, cool off, take a cold shower, whatever you need to do, go home. During that whole time, Paul realizes, i got to get out of here. 
So Paul meets with the Ephesian leaders, and then he slips out of town, but he wants to go back to Jerusalem. So he kind of winds his way back to the outskirts of Ephesus, and he meets with the Ephesian elders one more time and, and just says to them, this is probably the last time we're going to see each other. Probably the last time we're going to see each other. He goes on, Acts 20, verse 22 through 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Don't know what's going to happen. I just know it's going to be hard. I don't know everything that's going to happen. I just know that what awaits me is hardship and prison. But I've got to keep obeying the Lord. I've got to keep walking with the Lord. I have to keep seeking the Lord. What an incredible commitment from Paul. Paul leaves Ephesus. He, he returns to Jerusalem. He meets with the Jewish believers who are excited to see him. And yet at the same time, they warn him. Hey, Paul, there are people here who want you dead. Like they're spreading rumors about you that you don't believe in Moses and you're pulling people away from the law of Moses. And if they find you, they're going to attack you. They're going to throw you in prison. They might kill you. And that's exactly what happened. At the earliest opportunity, the leaders in Jerusalem find Paul, drag him out, begin to beat him, probably would have killed him at that point. Except a Roman soldier stepped in, thinking that Paul was the cause of all of this problem, pulls him out, maybe saving his life. The Roman soldier also mistook him for an Egyptian terrorist who had started some stuff before, and so he thought, all right, I finally got this guy. I'm going to throw him in jail. And Paul says, look, I'm not that guy. That's not who I am. I'm from here. I'm actually a Roman citizen. Before you take me to jail, can I say a word to the people who just tried to kill me? Now, what would you say? Like if you had this moment with people who had kind of wrecked your life, tried to kill you, like I, I would have some words, right? I, I got some words for that, those people. Paul shares basically two things. First of all, <clears throat> Paul reminded the crowd that he was one of them. That was his first message. Like, I'm one of you. I'm not an outsider. I'm not a foreigner. I, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not... I, 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 I'm, I'm somebody you know. I'm just like you. We share a background together. Here's, here's his words, verse 3, chapter 22. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any, of, as any of you today. Paul says, look, I grew up here. I'm from this city. I was neighbors with some of you. Yeah, I was born in Tarsus, but I've lived here my whole life. We went to school together, some of us. 
We studied under the same rabbi, some of us. We have the same experiences. We have the same ancestors. We have the same respect for our ancestors. I am one of you. Have you ever gone back to a place that you were once from and realized you don't fit there anymore? Have you ever gone back to a place that was familiar to you? But now time has passed. You've changed. There's some differences in you. There's some differences in them. And even though you go back, you don't you don't fit the way you used to fit. You're not comfortable the way you used to be comfortable. Paul has changed. Paul has grown. Paul is different. He's experienced something so transformational in his life. He's not the same Paul that grew up there. And even though he can say, I'm from here, I'm your neighbor, we grew up together, we went to school together, there had to be some part of Paul that knew, but I'm not the same person. I don't fit here anymore. One of the things I'm always a little worried about is that something I say will get applied in the wrong way. It will get taken in the wrong way. Um, One one of the fun things about doing this every single week is that occasionally, I'm not talking about any of you, but occasionally I will have somebody come up to me after a service or like a week after uh, a message that I preach and they will say, you know what really meant a lot to me? It was when you said, and then they will say something that I have never said in my whole life. Happens more than once or twice. I loved it when you said, and I try not to change my facial expression, I just say thank you, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, that is not at all what I said. So I I don't want to be misunderstood. This could be taken the wrong way. This could be applied the wrong way. But I also think there's some level of truth to this. When you grow, but the people where you once belong don't, you'll find that you no longer fit where you once were comfortable. I'm going to say it again. When you grow, something changes in you. Your, your walk with God deepens. Your understanding grows. Your, your discernment grows. When you grow, but the people where you once belonged don't, you'll find that you no longer fit where you once were comfortable. And I don't mean they're bad and you're better. That's not what I mean. I don't mean they're terrible people and you're the greatest. That's not what I mean. All of us have lived long enough in here for the most part where we just know over time we change. And we can change for, for in a good way or we can change in a not so good way. But we change, we grow, we see the world differently, we see life differently. Sometimes we understand God better, differently than we once understood. And then to try to go back to where we once belonged, maybe, maybe you've been there and you just feel like, it's not the same. Not them bad and I'm good. Just It's not, it's not the same. Anybody been to a high school reunion before? Right? Your, your, your 20th high school reunion, you go by, it's not the same, is it? Not, we've all changed. I just look at you. 
You just look at me. We've all changed. We're, it's different. And, and the ones we make fun of are the ones who go back to their 20th high school reunion and haven't changed. <laughs> we, something's wrong when you go back 20 years later and you are the same. But there is growth that happens. There is change that happens that sometimes make what once was comfortable not so comfortable. Some of you know uh, we moved our oldest to Dallas, Texas about three weeks ago. She's taking a job in the Dallas area, and so we uh, loaded up a U-Haul and drove it like 12, 13 hours. It was just as awful as it sounds. Um, we got her moved in, and she's happy, and that's a wonderful thing. But while we were there, after we got things kind of in the apartment, we took a day, and we drove over to Fort Worth because Julie and I, if you didn't know, we moved to Fort Worth uh, a week after we got married uh, a long, long time ago. And then I went to, uh, did my master's degree in Fort Worth at a seminary there. Julie taught school there. And so we had always won, never, never been back. Uh, we left in like January, February of 1995. So that's a lot of years ago. And uh, we had never been back. And so we went back out there and we wanted to show the girls kind of this is where we lived and this is what we did. And we could not find any place that we lived. We could as hard as we tried have no idea where our first apartment was none zero we know where our second apartment was because it was around the corner from a mall and so we found the mall and then we went to where our second apartment was and there's like 20 apartment complexes there now could not determine which one we actually lived in or if it is still there even today um so that was a lot of fun we went back to the seminary though where i graduated from and it was very much the same in, in almost every way. Buildings looked the same, named the same, campus looked very similar. Uh, and so, so we had just a great time walking the girls around and saying, this is where we met these people, and this is who our, my professor was, and this is where I went to class, and this is where you know, we did this, and this is where we played racquetball, and you know, all, all, those, all those little things. Um, I, I wasn't prepared... And maybe you've experienced this. I wasn't prepared for some of the emotion that I felt walking around the campus. Because uh, I've, I've been gone 20, 28 years probably now. 28, 29 years. And um, two, two emotions that I had walking around the campus. One was just gratitude for all of the wonderful people I met in that season of my life. We still have some very close friends that we met during that season of our life and just the, the gratitude for those people, the role they played in our life at that time, uh, some of the professors that I had and how formative and instrumental they were in helping me know God's word and know about ministry and, and prepare me uh, for what was ahead, even though there was no way for me to see all that was going to be in my future. They laid just this foundation of, of godliness and and spirituality. So there was that sort of gratitude, emotion for that season of my life. But there was also this weight, there was this cloud of, I don't think I could come back here now. I don't think I would fit here now. Again, not that they're bad and I'm perfect. That's not what I mean. I just, I just realized kind of where that seminary, the direction they went and the direction of my life, they're so far apart now, I could not feel comfortable there. And some of it is that environment 
Um, it demands a level of conformity, and that can be good. There are places for that. But it demands a level of thought conformity that I just could not give right now. I just couldn't give. Um, I, I'm more aware of power dynamics in those places than I was at the time. I'm, I'm more aware of political dynamics, and I don't necessarily mean uh, government po politics. I mean more denominational politics, that sort of thing. I'm more aware, and, and even walking around, I'm flashing back to things that happen and going, oh, yeah, now I see that differently. Now I, now I see more what was going on during that. It was a place that is incredibly formative in my life, meaningful in my life, and I just don't fit there anymore. Because we change. We grow. We deepen. I'm not the same person I was 28 years ago. I'm hoping you are not the same person you were 28 years ago. If you are, that's a whole other problem, right? 28 years later, you... You should have learned some things. You should have grown in some ways. There should be some places that you're thankful for. You have a level of gratitude for, but you know, I'm not that person anymore. I'm just not who I was 28 years ago. None of you were born 28 years ago. So you know, thankfully, you're not who you were 28 years ago. You're actually here. Yeah. Paul's feeling this. I'm one of you. And yet I'm not. I, I, we grew up together and now, now something's happened in me. And that's the second thing he talks about. The second thing he, he talks about is Paul tells him what Jesus has done in his life. Paul tells him what Jesus has done in his life. I, I've been changed. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than you. I don't see myself as better. I see all of my flaws and mistakes. You have no idea how many I have. Jesus is just so real to me. Paul has this encounter with Jesus, and it never leaves him. It never leaves him. It grips his heart. It grips his life. And the rest of his days, he says to people, Jesus is so real to me. I want him to be real to you. I'm not who I was. I'm not perfect, but I'm not who I was. And Jesus has changed everything in my life. Paul does this again and again and again as he's transferred from place to place. He's arrested. He demands to go to Rome, right? He thought he was going to Rome. He didn't know he was going to have a soldier escort all the way. Well, they begin to move him <clears throat> from governor to governor. He gets, he gets transferred to Felix. So Felix, if any of you plan on having kids, there's lots of good Bible names coming up right here. Felix would be one of them. Paul gets transferred to Felix, the governor in Caesarea. <clears throat> Felix asked him to, to testify in front of him. Acts 24, 24 says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. I want to write that name down. That'd be another good one came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. I'm on my way to Rome. I didn't think I'd be doing it through prisons. But Felix and Drusilla, if you're going to listen to me, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. If you're going to give me a moment, 
I'm going to use that moment for Jesus because he's changed my life. He rearranged everything in my life. He means so much to me. Unless we think this was a short event, like he was in and out, posted bail, got out. Verse 27 says, when two years had passed, two years, Felix was succeeded by Festus. Put that on the name list. Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Felix has no idea why Paul's in prison, but he wants to make the Jews happy. So he retires. Festus comes up, and Felix says, I'm just going to leave him in jail. After two years of him being in jail. Festus arrives, can't figure out why Paul's in jail, brings Paul, Paul's, Paul up, wants to talk to him. Paul just tells him about Jesus. King Agrippa rolls in. King Agrippa wants to talk to Paul. Paul says, yep, I'll tell you about Jesus. I'll just tell you about Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. Didn't think I'd be here. Jesus has changed my life. Don't want to be in prison. Jesus has changed my life. Don't want to be in chains. Jesus is so real to me. King Agrippa, I want him to be real to you. There's this, there's this moment, this dramatic moment when you read it uh, this week <clears throat> in, our, in our daily reading. There's this moment where Paul's sharing about Jesus and the prophets, and, and he looks right at King Agrippa and says, you believe it, don't you? I know you do. I know you believe this. And King Agrippa says, did you, did you think you could persuade me to believe in Jesus in such a short time? And Paul says, I don't care if it's a short time or a long time, however long it takes, I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to know Jesus. Paul continues to share Jesus with those who are around him. Paul gets put on a ship because they're going to send him to Rome. He goes from port to port, changes ships a couple of times, <clears throat> ends up in a storm, <clears throat> gets shipwrecked, put back on another boat. Luke's with him this whole time. By the way, that's why we have so many details. Puts him on another boat, sends him to Rome. They decide that Paul is going to be under house arrest in Rome, which means he can't go anywhere. He's still chained to a Roman soldier, but he's at a house. He's not in a cell, so he's at a house, chained to a Roman soldier. He can have visitors. So what does Paul do? He just invites visitors to come see him so he can tell them about Jesus. Come see me, I want to tell you about Jesus. Hey, come here, I want to tell you about Jesus. The Roman soldier, Paul's telling him about Jesus the whole time. Philippians is great. Read the first couple, two chapters of Philippians. Paul says at one point, hey, here's the great thing. The Roman soldier thinks that I'm chained to him, but he's chained to me. And so Paul, just the whole time they're chained up, he's like, sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus. Shift change, new soldier. Sharing Jesus, new, we're going to start over, we're going to talk about Jesus. Shift change, new, new soldier, we're going to talk about Jesus. He writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all of that is what has happened to him been in jail now for four years, been shipwrecked in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier. All that has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This is Paul, I think, this is kind of his subtle clue to everybody to say, it's working. Hey, Jesus is doing his thing people who come see me some of them are becoming believers the imperial guard 
They're coming, sitting with me. Some of them are giving their life to Christ, and they're, they're going back into the Roman guard as believers in Jesus. It's happening. The gospel is advancing. Is it advancing the way Paul thought? No. Are his circumstances what he would have chosen? No. Is God accomplishing the work of the kingdom every day? Every day. In every situation. In every circumstance. You remember, I mentioned this at the beginning of the story. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the world, which, which meant the gospel was going to get to Rome, and from Rome it was going to go out to the world. We end the book, and where's the gospel? It's in Rome. Not the way we thought it'd get there. Not the, not the circumstances we thought would, it would be. Didn't stop the work of God. Didn't stop the message of God. The kingdom of God the book of Acts ends with these words for two whole years. Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Two years, he's under house arrest. You know what happens in those two years? A lot of the books of the New Testament that you read were written during those two years when he's under house arrest. Can't go anywhere. Can't leave. I'm just going to write letters to believers. And 2,000 years later, you're holding those. 2,000 years later, you're reading those through circumstances that Paul would not have imagined and would not have chosen. And the gospel's in your hands. I don't know where your life is. I don't know where your life will be a year from now. I don't know where your life will be a week from now. I don't know where my life will be a week from now. I know that in every circumstance, I know that regardless of the surroundings, in every weighty moment, in every difficult challenge, God is at work. God will use the message of Jesus to change your life and to change the lives of the people around you if the book of Acts does anything the book of Acts does anything it obliterates our excuses for not speaking of Jesus it obliterates our excuses for getting so focused on the challenges and difficulties of life that we fail to say but Jesus is so real to Jesus has been so near to me. Jesus has transformed me. I don't want to be here. I don't like it here. I just know that Jesus is here too. I say it sometimes. We stand downstream from spiritual mothers and fathers who gave everything because they believed Jesus. They gave everything. There were no circumstances too difficult, too hard, too challenging to cause them to take their eyes off of Jesus. And we stand in their shadow today. 
Let's not be found wanting because life gets hard sometimes. Let's not be found unavailable, incapable of being who God has called us to be. When people like Paul, to the very end, spoke of Jesus. You see, there would come a day when Paul would not walk out of a Roman prison on his own. See, one of these imprisonments ends in the death of Paul. And to the very end, he proclaimed the name of Jesus. God, may we be so committed to you. May Jesus be so real to us that circumstances never sway our commitment to you. Surroundings, not that they aren't hard, not that there aren't real tragedies, not that we don't hurt. All of that is true, but Jesus is just so real to us that we never let him go. We never stop speaking of him. In hardship and prisons and shipwrecks and burdens and challenges that Jesus is on our tongue that Jesus is before our eyes for he is real and he is loving and he is good we pray it in Christ's name Amen